Good morning, Biltmore. Good morning to every campus across Western North Carolina. Also, all of our friends watching online. It is awesome to be here today, gather with the people of God. I'm excited for lots of reasons. First of all, if you missed it, Wake Weekend was insane. It was incredible. Over 900 people attended, 735 individual students, the biggest wake weekend in our history here at Biltmore Church. And uh, I believe 29 salvations that we're aware of so far. God is moving here in our student ministry. And I love the student ministry here. Zach Trantham is one of my best friends. I love that guy. And our ministry at Crossroads gets to partner with Biltmore for summer camp. And so uh, camp signups are open today at every campus, parents, Go ahead and get your students signed up for camp. Uh, they're gonna be coming down to South Carolina Anderson University in July, and we're excited about hosting them again. So go ahead and sign up in the lobby at your campus today. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that this weekend in West Virginia, uh, before I even got to Asheville last night, 168 people responded to the gospel. Just this weekend in West Virginia, I got to see God do a miracle up there. Praise God for that. Um, and I'm excited to be on the teaching team here at Biltmore Church. After preaching here for 20 years and serving Pastor Bruce and having so many great relationships and friendships, I'm honored today to serve you and to serve Pastor Bruce, one of my best friends that I've ever had in ministry. So we're gonna be in the Gospel of Luke. And you have a Bible? Go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 18. The scriptures are gonna be up on the screens. And as you turn to Luke chapter 18, I wanna tell you what I'm gonna be talking about today. Uh, James, would you bring me my cell phone? It's sitting right there. I wanna read some lyrics to a song that, um, that I think will set this message up really well today. Thank you, lovely, talented James Myers. You just get better looking with age, man. I don't know how you do it. Michelle, I don't know how you control yourself. He's so handsome. All right, I wanna read some lyrics today to a song that will set up our message because today from Luke 18, I'm gonna be preaching about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, when I start reading these lyrics, some of you are gonna have no idea what this song is because you don't like country music or because you were born in the wrong era or just because you haven't been cultured enough. Some of you, as soon as I start reading these lyrics, it's gonna click and you're gonna know exactly what this song is all about. Let me read these lyrics to you. Church, are you ready for this? I don't know if you are. We talk about your work, how your boss is a jerk. We talk about your church and your head when it hurts. We talk about the troubles you've been having with your brother and your daddy and your mother and your crazy ex-lover. We talk about your friends and the places that you've been. We talk about your skin and the devils on your chin, the polish on your toes and the run on your hose. And God knows we're gonna talk about your clothes. You know, talking about you makes me smile but every once in a while, I wanna talk about me, I wanna talk about I, I wanna talk about number one, oh my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, you, you usually, but occasionally, I wanna talk about me. The late, great Toby Keith wrote those songs. 
wrote those words to that song. And I got up this morning and I watched the video on YouTube of this song. Now, back in the 1900s, songs used to come with videos on a channel called MTV or CMT. And I was thinking about the lyrics of this song, and it's a funny song. Of course, he's tongue-in-cheek talking about what it's like to be a guy in love with a girl. And I was thinking about how that song, even though it's not intended to make a point, I'm going to make a point from it. It sort of gives us an insight into how most of us are wired, that most of us spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. Most of us spend most of our time in our own head. (laughs) Most of us spend most of our emotional effort and energy. We burn all of our emotional fuel thinking about what we need, what we want, how someone has maybe affected us, how if we just had a little bit more money, if we could just lose a little bit more weight, if we could just have a better marriage, if we could just get a little more vacation time. Most of us, it's not just that we wanna talk about ourselves, it's that we think about ourselves a lot. But you know, I was thinking about Toby Keith because this song, even though it was written decades ago and became one of the most popular songs in country music history, our good friend Toby Keith just last month succumbed to a long battle with stomach cancer. And he died at the age of 62. And at the end of his life, I watched Toby Keith testify about how he had gained so many wonderful things in his life, but at the end of his life, after surgeries and cancer treatments and chemotherapy, he knew that he was gonna stand before his maker. And and there wasn't any hint of arrogance or self-centeredness when Toby Keith approached the end of his life. As a matter of fact, I would say, the one thing that I felt when I watched his final interviews was humility. He testified about his faith in God. He testified about the fact that his life was gonna soon be over. And there was a sense, a feeling, a tangible presence of humility in this man as he got closer to God. One of the things that is true of us in our lives is that as we draw closer to God, we will become more aware of our self-righteousness and arrogance and it will begin to convict us and disgust us. And as we get closer to God, we will be more aware of his holiness and it will humble us and bring us to a proper posture before God. And that is what we see in this parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18. I wanna read these verses to you, Luke chapter 18, verses nine through 14. I'm just gonna read it straight through and then I'm going to unpack this a little bit for us. Let me go ahead and tell you the target I'm aiming for today at every campus. The target I'm aiming for today is not just to preach a a biblical message. The target, the win, the end zone, the touchdown today is that when our service comes to a, a close and our gathering is drawing to an end, that we will see people respond to the grace of God in multiple ways. I believe that some of you are gonna give your life to Jesus today for the first time. I believe that some of you are gonna surrender to the Lordship of Christ for real for the first time. I believe some of you who have lacked a confidence in God are going to find a confidence in him today that you need. And I believe that some of you are gonna come to the altar at your campus today and you're gonna bring your burden before the Lord, because I know that many of you came to church today 
at your campus burdened with cares and concerns. I know for me personally, I have friends right now who are sick. I have a good friend who was on staff at the church where I serve in South Carolina who just had a liver transplant yesterday because his liver had died. He just lost his wife to cancer a year ago. They have two daughters, one a teenager, one in her early 20s. I'm close personal friends with this family. That is a burden that's been waking me up in the middle of the night this week. So the end zone today, the touchdown today, the goal today, the bullseye today is that when this message is over, you won't say, wow, what a great message. You will say, wow, what a great savior Jesus is. And that when it's over, the altars in our campuses will be stacked three and four deep with people coming to pray, to humble themselves before the Lord, to respond and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. I don't care at all if you remember me, I want you to see Jesus and I want you to see how we access intimacy with him. It's this simple word, humility. Now, let me read this to you because Jesus thought this was important enough to tell a parable about it. So it's important for us to pay attention to it. Luke chapter 18, verses nine and uh, following. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Okay, so Jesus sets the tone and Luke tells us the intent of Jesus as he told this parable. And he's telling this parable directed at people who were self-righteous. Now, by the way, don't we all know some self-righteous people? Aren't we all experts at picking out the Pharisees in the crowd? How easy is it for you and me to see the arrogance and the pride in somebody else while at the same time, how difficult it is for us to see the Pharisee in ourselves? So while I'm preaching this message and I'm reading the words of Jesus, I don't want you to be thinking about all the self-righteous people you've ever known. I don't want you to be accessing your mental files and your memories and going down a list of all of the arrogant hypocrites that you've ever come across in your life. This message is not for them. This message is for you and this message is for me. And it is meant to show us the beauty of Jesus and the power of his gospel. And it's meant to rescue us from being self-righteous because we need to be rescued from ourselves as much as we need to be rescued from anything else. So then Jesus goes on, verse, 18, uh, verse uh, 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. Notice the Pharisee was praying about himself. And here's what he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Don't you just feel the self-righteousness dripping off of his prayer? Doesn't that just feel icky? 
Doesn't that just feel weird? Doesn't his prayer just feel gross? It doesn't feel right, does it? I thank you that I'm holy. I thank you that I'm awesome. I thank you that I'm the best there's ever been. I thank you that I am better than this guy. And here's a list of the things I do. I keep all the law, I tithe 10%, and he self-congratulates himself. He pats himself on the back. Then we get to hear a prayer from the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself and takes a low position, the one that knows their proper place the person who is aware enough of themselves to know that in and of themselves there is nothing holy, nothing pure, nothing righteous, the one that has no problem falling on their knees before God, the one that doesn't self-congratulate and lift up their accomplishments, the one that doesn't polish off their trophies and brag about their successes, the person that comes to God in a broken and contrite spirit with humility that is so humble they're even a afraid to lift up their eyes, but confess their need for a savior because they are aware that they are a sinner, that person is closer to God than anybody else. That person is justified. That person gets intimacy with God. Even though the tax collector is standing far off from the temple, the tax collector was closer to God than the self-righteous Pharisee. What can we learn from this story? There's a lot in this to unpack. There's an awful lot that you and I can learn. And I wanna confess to you, church, that for me, I am self-aware enough after 37 years in ministry. This month is my 37th year in ministry. I preached my first sermon when I was 14 at Crossroads Baptist Church in Simpsonville, South Carolina. I was in the eighth grade. I was wearing a suit and a tie. I didn't know a lot about sermon crafting because I had never preached a sermon. I didn't know a lot about illustration. I didn't know a lot about how to enter into a message and connect with an audience. I didn't understand humor. I didn't know how to land the plane. I certainly didn't know how to title my sermons because the title of my first sermon 37 years ago this month was simply called Hell. That was a warm and fuzzy one right there. It was encouraging and uplifting for everybody. But what I've learned over 37 years of walking with Jesus is simply this. I know about me that I don't struggle. Now, my wife is different. We have two very different personalities, two very different struggles. She struggles with confidence. She struggles with with believing the best about herself. She, She struggles with feeling like she does a good enough job. I struggle with all the other things. I struggle with arrogance. I am not a naturally humble person. 
I typically, without Jesus, would think I am better than I really am. I, I struggle with being overconfident as opposed to not having enough confidence. And so for me, I want you to know when Pastor Bruce threw out this passage to me and he's like, hey, is this something that resonates with you? I said, Pastor, huh, this is not only a passage that resonates with me, this is a passage that I hate and I love. Have you ever read the Bible and like you're reading it and you hate it so much, but you love it so much? That's the way I think that we need to relate to the scripture. We, we don't hate it like we would, like I hate cilantro or like I hate um, math because those are two things I can't stand. I don't hate the Bible. I just read certain passages of scripture that convict me so deeply, but I, but I know that I need it so I continue to wrestle with it. And I want you to know while I'm preaching this message today, God has preached this message to me, not just today, but for decades as a Christian following Jesus. So what can we learn from this parable that Jesus told? Well, a couple of things that need to be addressed. First of all, Jesus is using two completely polar opposite examples from the nation of Israel and from the city of Jerusalem because this parable is located around the central location of the temple. And anytime you went to the temple, it was, it was said that you went up to the temple. Even if you were coming down from the mountains, you would go up to the temple because the temple is on a hill, Mount Moriah, where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, where David bought a wine press. This is a holy place. And as they went up to the temple, Jesus is using this example, two polar opposites. It, it would be like comparing a Duke fan to a Carolina fan, if that resonates with you. It would be like comparing a Republican to a Democrat, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what resonates with you. But these are two total polar opposites. And Jesus is now taking this person that everyone knew as self-righteous and holy because Pharisees loved to flaunt their holiness. They wore robes that said, look at me. They prayed loud prayers on street corners that said, look at me. When they did put their offering in the collection plate in the temple, they made a show out of it. They, they trumpeted it. Everybody, look at me. They waved flags. Look at how holy we are. Look at how much better we are than the rest of you people. And we all know that that is an offensive posture. It's an offensive posture when we see other people take that posture. It's not only offensive, it's also more than that. And this is my first point. Self-righteousness is not only offensive to God, it's actually impossible. It's impossible because we are not righteous in and of ourselves. So you've got the Pharisee who is offensive in his posture toward God but he's also doing something that is impossible. He thinks that he can earn God's favor, but that's impossible. He thinks he can win God's love, but that's impossible. He thinks he can impress God with his good deeds, but that's impossible. And that's good news for you and me, because in reality, what that does is it sets us free and liberates us from having to earn God's favor. And you don't have to earn God's favor. You can't, you already have it. You already have God's favor. You already have God's love. God already sees you. God already knows you. God already cares about you. God is already concerned with your life. God already has affectionate feelings toward you. And he shows you how much he loves you when he sends Jesus from heaven to earth to die on the cross in the place of you and me. 
so that our blood doesn't have to be shed, so that we don't have to pay the penalty we could never pay. Jesus paid it for us. If you wanna know whether or not God loves you, look at Jesus. He does, God does love you. It is impossible for this Pharisee in this parable to impress God with his lofty prayers or his good works. But then Jesus uses another character in the story. He uses a tax collector. Okay, so if the self-righteous Pharisee is this, this picture of pompous religiosity, then the tax collector is the total opposite. I actually, y'all, I'm so, I'm so proud of myself for this. I turned in my taxes in February. Can you believe that? I have never, I have, I've had to file extensions, um, I don't like paying taxes. I kind of hate it, but you know, I know that they pave the roads, they pay for our military, they pay for our, our uh, police forces, they, they put my kids through school. Okay, so I'm paying taxes. I turned in my taxes in February, and I was so proud of myself when I turned in my taxes, but then my CPA emails me back with a list of like 18 things I didn't include. And so it humbled me really quickly. I don't like paying taxes, but I don't think we can all fully understand how much the Jews hated tax collectors, it's pretty hard for us to even get the feeling they had because tax collectors in Israel were Jewish men that were paid by the Roman government to not only collect taxes from their fellow Jewish citizens, but to extort them for more money than they owed and to rip them off. And the way it worked if you were a tax collector, you only got hired if you were crooked because the Roman government had to fund their government. They had to fund their armies. They had to fund their wars. And so they would hire and recruit men that had bad reputations. And they would tell the tax collectors, like this one in the parable, also like Zacchaeus, that we're gonna see in the next chapter. Because in the next chapter, Zacchaeus, a tax collector, actually puts his faith in Jesus. And so the way a tax collector got rich is the tax collector was told by the Roman representative, collect as many taxes as you can. You owe us this much, that's what you have to give us. But you can collect as much as you want to over and above that, you work on commission. Whatever you can collect from people, steal from people, rob from people, take from people, that's your pay. So tax collectors were not religious people. And a lot of times in church, what we fail to remember, and me as a pastor and as an evangelist, this is hard for me. I have to remember that the grace of God that I celebrate in my own life, now y'all listen to me, the grace of God that I rejoice in, the grace of God that I raise my hands and sing about every time it is mentioned in a church service or in a song or a worship set. When I think about the grace of God, I love the grace of God for me, but sometimes I don't really wanna believe that that grace of God is extended to other people like tax collectors. Grace is grace because none of us deserve it. And so the tax collector in this parable is this notorious, hated, filthy, rotten sinner who is a Jew by birth, but he is a Roman turncoat and traitor by, by job, by tradition, by work. And everybody hates him. And what does Jesus do in the parable? He compares this self-righteous Pharisee that everyone thought was close to God. He is so religious, keeps all the rules, prays all the prayers, knows all the verses from Leviticus. He 
puts his money in the plate when it's passed. And everybody notices the Pharisees because they walk around Jerusalem in procession. They're like parading their religiosity. And here is a tax collector that is so humble. He won't even go to the temple. He stands back. Here is a tax collector who is so self-aware of his own brokenness that when he does pray, instead of lifting up his eyes and raising his hands and praying long drawn out prayers, he won't even look up. He, he puts his eyes down. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And I wanna help us understand that when we think about reaching lost people, when you think about your neighbor, when you think about the guy that lives in the, in the apartment complex right, right beside you in that apartment or, or the person that's right beside you in your, in your neighborhood or the people you work with or that you go to school with or that you play ball with, they don't go to church. They may not be Christians. Understand that this tax collector gives us a little bit of insight into how outsiders feel about what we do here on the inside every Sunday. What we do in here is foreign to people who have never experienced it. What we do at your campus right now, singing songs, giving money, someone standing up for 35 minutes and teaching the Bible, for someone that's never experienced that, that can be strange, weird, and foreign. And a lot of people, maybe you don't feel this way, but there are so many people that feel like this tax collector that will think, I can't really go to church and know God. I get drunk every weekend. I can't be religious. I smoke pot. I do it to forget my problems. I do it because of physical pain. I, I, I get high, I get drunk, I party because my real life is so bad. The only way I think I can escape is to numb the pain and just check out for a little bit. I could never go be religious with all those religious people because of the things I did in college. And listen, as a pastor, the things I've heard people tell me in my own church or as I've traveled, there's just a list of things that people tell me, oh, I could never be a Christian because, and, and the list goes like this, because I have had an abortion, because I'm gay, because I have lied to too many people, because I went to prison. I, I, I'm in a discipleship relationship right now with someone who went to prison for shooting somebody and for years felt like he couldn't come to church because not only he spent time in prison, but he actually shot someone. Didn't kill him, but he shot someone. And for years, he, to, he told me this after he became a believer. He's like, I didn't think the church would welcome me. I didn't think I could be religious. And that is where we draw the line. The Pharisee in this story is very religious, but he obviously has no relationship with God because his heart is not humble. The tax collector is not religious at all, but his heart is humble. So he's honestly, he's closer to God than the Pharisee. Which brings me to point number two. You can have religion or you can have a relationship. You can't have both. You can have religion or you can have a relationship. Now, let me define what I mean when I talk about religion. 
I'm not against the idea of religion. I'm not against the religion of Christianity as opposed to like the religion of Islam or the religion of Buddhism. But when I talk about religion from the New Testament, there is a, there is a mindset that we can all sort of get wrapped up in, which is if I'm religious enough, I'll go to heaven when I die. That's not true. Religion as a set of rules you have to keep will never ever make you happy, never. It'll never ever make you happy. I'm a rule breaker by nature. Like if the speed limit's 55, I just, I just feel like I have to go 62. And I don't know why that is except the power of sin in my life. I mean, I'm driving around last night looking for a parking place at the hotel I'm staying at. There is no parking place. Have y'all tried to park anywhere in Asheville, North Carolina recently? Have you tried to drive anywhere in Asheville, North Carolina? Anywhere for that matter. And I'm driving around in my big truck. I've got a Ford F-250 because I'm a Christian. And uh, I'm driving around looking for a place to park and there's nowhere to park. And I start justifying all the places I can park, you know, because my truck is big. So I just need to park somewhere. And then I start thinking, nobody gonna tow my truck because nobody can fit my truck on the back of a tow truck. I start, like, I'm so sinful. I'm such a rule breaker. I'm telling you, I'm thankful that keeping religious rules don't save you because I would be the first person to die and go to hell if keeping religious rules is what it took to get into heaven. Does anybody else relate to that? I don't know if you've ever felt like a failure, but I feel like I still to this day have have to fight against the Pharisee in me because even though I'm a rule breaker by nature, I'm an Enneagram three. And if you don't know about that, it's kind of like the Christian horoscope. Don't worry about it. Um, I like to succeed. I like to achieve. I, I like to do things and get graded. And so even though I'm a rule breaker, I also want to do good. And when I don't do good, there's still this part of me that says, man, did I just disappoint God? Did I just let God down? Man, I messed up. Can I even pray? Will God even hear my prayer right now? Will will, will God forgive me? He's forgiven me so many times. I don't know if I'm allowed to ask God to forgive me one more time. I've still got so much religion in me that the Holy Spirit is still working out of me. Because what God wants for you, listen to me, church, is for you to go beyond a religion. God wants you to enter into a close, intimate relationship with him so that you and God are friends, so that you can talk to God when you need him. I was in the car yesterday for hours. I was on planes yesterday for hours. I preached twice in West Virginia yesterday and made it to Asheville by eight o'clock last night. And as I'm Checking into my hotel last night, I'm thinking to myself, I was actually praying to to the Lord. I was like, Lord, I'm 51 years old and you have kept me company for 37 years while I've traveled all over the world. Sometimes my wife goes with me, sometimes my kids go with me, sometimes a, a friend will go with me, but I spent a lot of nights alone in a hotel room. I spent a lot of hours waiting in airports for flights that get canceled and delayed. I spent a lot of time um, driving up and down the interstates with the radio off and silence in my truck. And I told Jesus this last night, I said, you have been my friend. You have kept me company. You've always been there for me to talk to. And that's the difference between the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee had rules but the tax collector, 
He knew who he really was and he knew who God really was and his approach to God was right. Humility. Choose the relationship over the religion. The religion of Christianity doesn't save anybody, but the blood of Jesus can save everybody who will repent and believe. The religion of Christianity as a religion will do you no good if you miss the heart of the faith, which is friendship with God. And how do you get there? Number three, repentance. Repentance is the road to a relationship with God. Repentance is the way that you get this relationship with God. Psalm 138.6 actually tells us this, that, that that the way you relate to God, the way you can know God is through repentance. I want you to see the intimacy and the closeness here of how God views us when we are humble in his sight. Psalm 138.6 says, though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. Wow, do you see that? Isn't it crazy that in the parable in Luke, 18, the Pharisee is close to the temple. The tax collector is at a distance. But Psalm 138, six says, even though God is exalted in heaven, he sees the humble and he knows the haughty from a distance. So who is really far away from God? It's the ones of us that refuse to humble ourselves, that won't admit we need God, that won't fall on our knees, that won't just pray and ask God to save us. If you wanna get close to God, humble yourself. If you wanna be God's friend, if you wanna surrender to the Lordship of Christ, know this, God sees a humble heart and God welcomes a humble heart. And God wants us to come to him with all of our brokenness, not so that he can tell us how bad we are, but so that he can help us and show us how good he is. And that's the heart behind this parable because the tax collector, even though as he's walking to the temple, probably passes dozens of people that he has personally ripped off, God still allows him to come and pray. God still welcomes his prayer. Jesus even says the Pharisee got nothing out of his prayer. The tax collector, that's the one who had a heart for God. So if you feel like you don't belong in God's family, if you've ever had those internal thoughts in your mind, like, will God hear my prayer? Will God answer me? Will God let me in? Is God angry at me? Is God keeping a long, long list of all of my mistakes and sins? I want you to know that the way you can put all of those crazy thoughts to bed, the way that you can settle it once and for all, that you are right with God and God is your friend. The one way you can know with confidence that you belong to Jesus, humble yourself like the tax collector and just say, God, I'm a sinner. Oh, by the way, when you tell God that you're a sinner, you're not giving him information for the first time. It'd kind of be like you going to your wife and saying, honey, I just want you to know, um, I've got some faults. And your wife going, oh, really? You wanna tell me about those? <laughs> because when you're close to someone, you know each other's faults. When you're close to God, God is totally aware of your faults and he loves you regardless. And we also know this, and I want you to go ahead and be thinking about what it is you need to bring to God today. I want you to go ahead and be preparing for what you need to bring to the altar today, for what you need to lift up in humility to God today. God punishes pride, but God honors humility. God actually punishes pride. 
Now there's a, diff, there's, a, there's a good godly pride when you are proud of a job well done, when you are proud of something you've done for the Lord by the power of his grace. My dad taught me, raised on the farm, growing up out in the country, my dad would say, son, take pride in your appearance. Take pride in how you study for your, for your classes. Take pride in a, in a good grade that you made. That's not a sinful kind of pride. The sinful kind of pride that God punishes is a pride of self-righteousness. And he punishes that kind of pride. I wrote this in my notes. In my lifetime, I have heard, I've seen these things pop up in our culture. Different movements that are centered on the self. There was the self-esteem Movement. Then there was this movement of being self-made. And then uh, sometime around the early 2000s, there was the self-help movement. And books and books and books were written, self-help books. And then recently, there's been the self-love movement. You just need to love yourself more. And most recently, one that I've heard a lot about is the self-care movement. Self-esteem, self-made, self-help, self-love, self-care. I understand the sentiment behind all of these, but I just wanna say that your problem is yourself. My problem is myself. So I cannot find the answers to my problems in me. I've gotta go outside of me. I've gotta go to God. My problem is myself. And when I surrender myself to Jesus in humility, Jesus loves me, cares for me, helps me, sustains me, saves me. James 4, 6 tells us what God thinks about pride and humility. James was the actual brother of Jesus. And here are his words from his book, James 4, 6. But God gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want God to resist you, stiff arm you, just be proud. Just live your life filled with arrogance. But if you want God to draw near to you, if you want God to feel close to you, if you need God to help you and you want him right now in your life to be your source and your Lord, come to God in humility. Admit the fact that the problem is you, the problem is me, the problem is our sin, but you're not garbage and you're not trash because Jesus would not have died on the cross if you were garbage and trash. Jesus died for you because even though in yourself and myself, we can't save ourselves, we are made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a beautiful creation that God cares for. And that is why he wants a relationship with you so much. I can't even put into words to you people today as my family, how much I love my relationship with my two sons, Jacob and Joseph. I love my relationship with my boys. 
When they come to me with a problem, I don't condemn them. I don't tell them how bad they are. I don't tell them how dumb they are. When they come to me with an issue or a problem, I am, my heart is open to them because I love them and I want to help them. And that is, if, if I as an earthly father feel that way about my kids and I am not even close to being perfect, how much more does your perfect heavenly father love you and want you to come to him with everything that you need, with every burden you carry, with all of your own self hate, with all of your anxiety, with all of your depression, with all your cares and your worries, come to God in humility and you will experience a friendship with God that is better than anything this world can offer. Don't be the self-righteous Pharisee anymore. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this. Be more like the tax collector. Humble yourself before the Lord and you know what he'll do? He'll give you grace. He'll meet you there. And so I'm gonna ask at every campus right now for all of us, now it's time to respond. Now the most important part of the service happens as you close your eyes and open your hearts. This is what we've been aiming for all day. We've been aiming for a moment where we can respond to what we've seen in the scripture. So with your eyes closed, I'm gonna ask everybody, including me, what is it that you need to bring to Jesus today? What is it that you need to surrender to him? And I'm gonna pray this prayer with those of you that, that may need to just totally surrender to the Lordship of Christ. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and your hearts open at every campus, if you need to be saved or if you need to recommit your life, simply put, if you just need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, would you just pray this to him? right where you are, and then we're gonna have a time to respond by moving. But before we even move, I'm gonna ask you right now to pray this to Jesus if you need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. In your heart, pray this to him. Jesus, I humble myself and I give you my heart. I confess I'm a sinner but I know you love me. So I give you control. I give you my failures and my fears. I give you my future and my eternity. Jesus, I give you my soul. Rescue me right now. I love you. before anybody even opens their eyes, I'm gonna ask a simple question. Movement brings life. And so I'm gonna ask you to do one simple thing, just as a movement towards Jesus. At your campus, if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus, would you just move your hand and raise it above your head right now? Just raise your hand up. If you just prayed that prayer as a total surrender to the Lordship of Christ, raise your hand high. Raise them high. Just keep them up for a second. Keep them up at your campus. There's no shame in this. Just keep them up. And put your hands down at every campus. Everybody, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to stand up. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet because we're about to respond. 
I can only see the room that I'm in. 57 people in this room just surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. 57 just put their hand up to say, I have just surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Here's how we are going to respond now at every campus, including the one you're at right now. Two ways. If you just responded, or if you need more of Jesus, there's two places I'm gonna send you once the band begins to, to sing and, and lead. First of all, at your campus, we have prayer tables at the sides. So on your campus, to your left and to your right, we have some tables set up where you can go and talk to a prayer counselor. You can pray with them. We also have a Bible for you at those locations. If you don't have a Bible, or if you just gave your life to Jesus and you surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we'll give you a Bible and we just wanna help you. So on the sides, that's the first place I wanna send you. And if you're a student that made a decision at Wake Weekend, I want you to go to one of those prayer tables and somebody will be there for you. The second place I wanna ask you to come for response is to the altar at your campus. In a second, I'm gonna pray. And while I'm praying, I'm gonna invite people to begin to move. And I've prayed for weeks. Pastor Bruce and I have talked about this. We've prayed that God would see, that we would see people on their face before God stack three and four deep at the altars. Just bring in whatever burden you have to Jesus to just come and pray and receive his mercy and receive his grace. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And there is nothing more humble than to come before God and stand at an altar or kneel at an altar and pray either by yourself or with someone you love for more of Jesus in your life. So as soon as I, as a matter of fact, while I'm praying, you can begin moving. Those are the two places I'm gonna invite you to respond. Jesus, we love and exalt you because you were raised from the dead. Father, we thank you for the love you've lavished on us that we might be called the children of God. Holy Spirit, thank you for your movement among us today. And now I pray people would begin to move to altars and to the prayer tables around our campuses right now as we respond to your mercy and grace in Jesus' name, amen.